Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all and especially equipping for uh, pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury, Spiritual Engagement Coordinator for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is David Wright. Dr. David Wright is uh, president of Indiana Wesleyan University, my uh, alma mater and my current employer, uh, although he uh, just announced his uh, impending retirement coming this summer. I've been wanting to have him on the show for a long time. I love the way he reads scripture, and he's a student of the scriptures and studied both in college and in seminary and has a lot of exegetical tools at his fingertips. And then was a missionary for many years after that and found his way into higher ed administration and so ended up being a university president. Uh, so he's had lots of uh, twists and turns in his career and a lot of insight that comes um, from a life lived. And uh, he's a lover of the Psalms. And so I was excited to have him on this week to talk about Psalm 71. So that's our text for this week is Psalm 71. As you're listening to the show and you find yourself enjoying it, be sure to uh, share it with uh, friends and uh, family and other connections. All you got to do is tap the share button on your podcast player app of choice, and you can pop it up on social media or send a text to a friend and say, hey, check out this episode. We appreciate it when you get the word out about the show. We also appreciate those who support the show financially by going to patreon.com slash fresh text, where you can go also and see about becoming a patron saint of the show, as we like to call it. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this conversation with David. So yeah, I guess we're looking at a Psalm Psalm 71. Usually I, I ask my guests to read the passage if they're willing, and then I'll say a word of prayer. It's a long one. I'm pretty sure the lectionary cuts some verses out, Probably but does. I don't care about that. I, I okay. say, let's hear the whole thing, right? All right. Sure. <laughs> if you're up for it, would you be willing to read it? And, sure. Mm-hmm. Great. Go for yeah. it. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you're my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you've been my hope, O sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I'm old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone, for my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation, all day long. 
though I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once again. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have redeemed. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. For those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who hears, a God who listens to our cries, a God who takes delight in our praise and thanksgiving. And so we now ask that as we meditate on this psalm, chew on it, explore it, that all the thoughts and words that uh, David and I offer and all the thoughts of the hearts of all those listening in, separated though we are by time and space, that nevertheless in this time, your spirit would be moving, that the spirit that was moving in the heart and on the lips of the psalm psalmist who wrote this unnamed psalm, unattributed, undedicated, that this unknown composer, that that spirit moving in them to speak, to write, to pray, that that same spirit would be moving amidst us too, that we may be found faithful. We ask this in the name of your faithful and true Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Yeah, so I remember you mentioning one time that you go through the Psalter real slowly. Every year is it? Or I was trying to remember your routine. Yeah. yeah. Would you be willing to share just, I mean, we'll get into this text, but what's your relationship to the Psalms more generally? Yeah, John, thanks so much for having me uh, come and share to, today with you. I really uh, appreciate that opportunity. I can't really remember when this uh, this pattern emerged in my life, but I, I'm pretty sure it goes back at least to my years in college here at uh, Marion College at the time, Indiana Wesleyan now. And uh the Bible and the study of the Bible was absolutely transformative in, in terms of my career pathway, and uh, it has determined, you know, the, the the way that my career went. I'm, I'm going to get to your question in a moment, but you, you, I think you know me well enough to know that I like airplanes, I like flying, and uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a pilot as a, as a career, and I was going to prepare to be a missionary pilot, and to do that, to get into the missionary aviation programs, you had to have a certain amount of Bible courses. So I came to Marion College at the time 
purely for the purpose of taking Bible courses so I could transfer into an aviation program because huh. that's what I really wanted to do. And uh, I encountered David Thompson, who was a Bible professor who focused, uh, he taught for whatever reason that the semester that I started, he was teaching Old Testament history. John Bright was the text. And, huh. uh, and it was absolutely so captivating. Uh, and and the, the text just came alive in a way that uh, it, it just captured my imagination. And I began to think, if I had the opportunity to give myself to that kind of study, I had no business thinking I might ever be a faculty member because I was not a great student or be in the academy. And that was the farthest thing from my mind. But I was captured by, this, by the Scripture and by uh-huh. the unfolding of Scripture. And that completely reoriented my, my plans. I stayed here at Indiana Wesleyan and took a Christian ministries major. And, uh, and it was in that period of time that I encountered this idea of reading the Psalms and the Proverbs through every year as a, as a discipleship and, a, and a, a spiritual development practice. So essentially, I have done that uh, since my, you know, since the 70s. Uh, and this particular Bible that's in front of me right now, I've had for about 30 years. And, and oh, Psalm, wow. Psalm 71, you can see, is marked, and oh. even with an asterisk. And I'll tell you the reason why in verse 6 there's an asterisk there in a moment. But, uh, and when I do, I, I don't read quickly. I can take six months to go through the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what I found is that as I've, as I've sought to really immerse myself in the you know, in, in the Psalms, the richness and the power of various passages just is so captivating. I find myself, I need to just sit here and wait in these, in, you know, in the presence of the Lord to have the Lord speak to me out of these words. So, yeah, it's been a long, long time practice. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for the show for a while because I knew that you had been a protege of Dave Thompson's years ago. Before here, right before right. he went off to Asbury, yeah. where he was then for decades, mm-hmm. and every time I've heard you exposit the scriptures, I'm like, oh, this guy knows how to study the Bible. You know, I always <laughs> get a kick out of it. It's great. But the, but it tucked away. You had made a comment a while ago about reading through the Psalms every year or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, there's maybe the Psalms would be a good mm-hmm. time to have them on. Mm-hmm. So 71. This is a special song. It's not a particularly famous psalm. It doesn't get quoted a ton. So. It's good to know it's a special one to you. Which which verse was it you said that had a particularly well? The ones that I that I have marked uh, verses one through three, and then five and six, and then fourteen and fifteen are the ones that uh, particularly captured me at some point in my reading over those years. Hmm. But the one where there's an asterisk is uh, verse six. From birth I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. So there's a personal story that goes hmm. with that. Um, so my mother, uh, I was born in the Philippines. My parents were missionaries there. And uh, my sister and my brother and I were all born there. I was born in a, in a mission hospital in a part of uh, Manila, which was in a, one of the, in, it's called Tondo, if people, uh, your listeners might know that part of Manila. Hmm. But my mother and I had different factors in our blood. So our, our blood was really incompatible with each other. This wasn't discovered till many years after when I was nine or ten years old, and a dentist said, there's something strange in this boy's teeth. You, you hmm. know, why, why, is it, why are his teeth marked the way they are? And that led them to understand that uh, my mother had had an enormous amount of trouble during the pregnancy with me, and I actually should have been stillborn. I shouldn't have lived. Wow. But through prayer, my mother was able to 
carry me to term and and I was born and then they discovered that because of these this these factors in our blood it's a really rare situation that occurs and I can't give you the the medical terminology but uh so my birth itself was uh my parents have always said it was a bit of a miracle that that I survived to birth and so that's what <laughs> I thought of with this one from birth I relied on you yeah. you brought me forth from my mother's womb and uh, I will ever praise you for that yeah Upon you, I have relied from birth. Yeah, there was that dependency even before you were conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Then you brought me out from my mother's womb. Then to you is my praise always. What is that NIV? It is an NIV, well, but it's an older it? version of NIV. Oh, okay. So from birth, I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. Yeah. ESV has, upon you, I have leaned mm. from before my birth. So that's mm. similar imagery relied but it's more imaged there you are the one who took me from my mother's womb Mm -hmm. my praise is continually of you so there's this before you're even aware Mm. and then coming to awareness of that and then what's owed in response free this kind of freely owed Mm -hmm. (laughs) somewhere between a freedom and an obligation to now praise (laughs) right right? Uh, always that is almost Man, that's almost word for word Psalm 22, isn't well, it? Yeah, and there are a number of um, places at which this psalm echoes yeah. other psalms. Uh, the first three verses echo an earlier psalm. I think it's maybe 31, Psalm 31, which reminds us that the psalms were, it's a collection of words that were used by communities in worship. So it's not unusual that you would find allusions and echoes yeah. and you know, it only seems strange when you think of it as a text and mm. a modern text with an author. Mm. But if you were to go and observe, as an anthropologist, observe Christians worshiping for a year, you'd hear mm. prayers that mm. sound, quote, plagiarized from sure. other, you know what I mean? Because yeah. yeah. there's there's stock phrases exactly. that we rely on. Yeah, And I, I really think this is part of why the Psalms are so captivating, at least for me. Although I love, I love all the parts of Scripture, and all of them bring something to our understanding of our faith and to the formation of our faith in ourselves. But I think part of the reason the Psalms are so captivating to me is that they have grown out of a community's actual worship. You know, if if it goes back to the first temple with David and with Solomon, there was a liturgy of worship that began to develop there, and then that's carried on through the ages. And uh, so it feels to me like it's the words of a worshiping community who don't, they don't pull their punches. I mean, some of these Psalms are, you know, incredibly <laughs> direct and to the point where today you would not a pastor who got up and prayed some of these these psalms in in worship would probably get called you know before the the, the board of elders to give account for his faith i mean it, they they're but this is why they're so powerful they they really they capture for us the the range of emotions and experiences we have as as people living in the presence of god it's partly why i love them so much yeah window into their life of worship and then hopefully a window into our own mm, sure. life of worship together as well. Yeah, it's striking that you, you pointed out how many illusions there are in these. And, and I agree that that's not, uh, that's not strange given its origin. It, it is interesting to think about its location in the, in the Psalter. We're almost at the end of book one, mm-hmm. book three, starting at. 73. Now, whether those book divisions are, how ancient those are is a mm-hmm. question. Although the ordering of the Psalms is also not original. You know, the Psalm mm-hmm. would have had a life 
mm-hmm. prior to that. Just like if you grabbed a hymnal or a, you know, a songbook, it wouldn't be in the order that things were written, you know? Sure. And it is interesting that this one doesn't have a, uh, an inscription, you know, so many of them do. This one maybe in a way has a kind of uh, anonymity to it as mm. an author. And maybe it fits in that way. Cause it's just, this is the people's song. Cause it's got all the mm-hmm. kind of has all the things that you find. It starts out as a kind of supplication Psalm for at least the first, what seven, six, seven verses. Sure. Well, and it a, shifts in a more praise direction request. So I read somewhere that there's conjecture that this was written by David toward the end of his life, because clearly there there's language in here about remember me at my old age and so forth. And, yeah. And, and particularly perhaps in his the episode with Absalom. And that's purely conjecture. There's no way to tell from the psalm itself. But it's interesting to think of someone, this is clearly what appears to be someone who's thinking about the seasons of life, the unfolding of the seasons of hmm. life, and the, and the faithfulness of God through the seasons of life, and how the challenges of life bring us different things to deal with. And there's a there's an antagonist in the midst of this, at least might have been a man. Yeah. At one point it speaks about the person, but might have been a community. So now there's this person who's, who's writing the psalm and aware of this antagonist in his life, someone who brings conflict and difficulty and shame, strife, even incentivizes or, or stirs up opposition to the psalmist among people who you know, they say, look, he's vulnerable now. Let's go out. Now's our time to get him. Let's go after him. We can get him now because he's really vulnerable. And even mm. God isn't going to watch over him anymore. And yet, you know, here's this affirmation. Please, God, in, the, in this moment, don't desert me to these foes. Even in my old age, don't be far from me. Be quick to defend me. And it ends that way. You know, it comes down to the end. Those who wanted to harm me, you've, you've put into shame and confusion. Uh, yeah. So... There's sort of these parallel thoughts. I mean, here, here am I going through life, and I come down to my old age, and I don't have the strength and the, the vitality. I, I don't have the, the ability to, to rest on my own strength that I might have had, so I need you. And then at the same time, there's this external vulnerability that this person feels. And those that are, those that are stirring up conflict against me, it's you that I need to stand up against them. My, isn't that a... Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a life occurrence that we uh, maybe have gone through in recent years? And how fitting to recall at our birth when we were in utterly dependent, mm. you know, mm. that in some ways there's a a remembering there like, okay, I spent most of my life being able to fight my own enemies, but now I'm, I'm in over my head. I need you to help, Lord. Right. And helpful to remember that, well... Okay, not my whole life I haven't been <laughs> this strong. I've relied on you before. Yeah. You know, now I can do so consciously. Well, let's take a quick break and explore this some more. Sure. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, David Wright, and we're looking at Psalm 71. Psalm 71. I'll go ahead and read it. A second time just to be in our ears and hearts again. This is from Robert Alter's translation, regular guess. No, I've been reading from that a lot. So mm. it's a little weird at times, but he tries to catch the rhythms of the original mm. language. So in you, O Lord, I shelter. Let me never be shamed. Through your bounty, save me and free me. 
Incline your ear to me and rescue me. Be for me a fortress dwelling, to come into always. You ordained to rescue me, for you are my rock and my bastion. My God, free me from the hand of the wicked, from the grip of the wicked and the violent. For you are my hope, Master, O Lord, my refuge since youth. Upon you I relied from birth. From my mother's womb you brought me out. To you is my praise always. An example I was to the many, and you are my sheltering strength. May my mouth be filled with your praise all day long, your glory. Do not fling me away in old age. As my strength fails, do not forsake me. For my enemies said of me who stalk me, counseled together, saying, God has forsaken and pursue and catch him, for no one will save him. God, do not keep far from me. My God, hasten to my help. May my accusers be shamed, may they perish. May they be clothed with shame and reproach who seek my harm. As for me, I shall always hope and add to all your praise. My mouth will recount your bounty and all day long your rescue, for I know not numbers. (laughs) I shall come in the power of the master, the Lord. I shall call to mind your bounty, you only. God, you have taught me since my youth. Until now, I have told your wonders. And even in a hoary old age, O God, do not forsake me till I tell of your mighty arm to the next generation, to all those who will come, your power and your bounty, O God, to the heights as you have done great things, O God, who is like you. As you surfeited me with great and dire distresses, you will once more give me life and from earth's depths once more bring me up. You will multiply my greatness and turn round and comfort me. So shall I acclaim you with the lute, your truth, my God. Let me hymn you with the lyre, Israel's holy one. My lips will sing glad song when I hymn toward you and my being that you ransomed. My tongue, too, all day long will murmur your bounty. For they are ashamed and they are disgraced, those who sought my harm. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so, I mean, I have so many interpretive questions. I don't know what you want to focus in on, but... How does how does NIV translate the last the beginning of verse twenty four? That's just a translation question that's curious to me. It says my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. Okay, so tell, and ESV here had talk. <laughs> Robert Alter here went with uh, murmur, which mm. makes me wonder what it is. <laughs> mm. Now I'm just curious. I'm yeah, my Hebrew out, but I'm wondering if it's some if it's implying a kind of Especially if it's all day long, kind of a, mm. a meditative mm-hmm. humming, 
just always having God's praise on the lips, even yeah. if it's just kind of under the breath. Well, one of the things that strikes me as I, as I go through those verses is the concreteness of the imagery. Yes. So this is not uh, sort of uh, distilled or conceptual. Mm. He talks about tongue. He talks about lips. He talks about musical instruments, the lyre, the harp. It's earthy, maybe in the best sense of that word. It's, yeah. It's, it's very real. Yeah, no, I mean, here's an example that our, I'm sure regular listeners are tired of me saying, but you know, a lot of translations, including the ESV here, says in verse 18, you have, till I proclaim your might mm. to another generation. Mm. Uh, what I love about Alter is he knows his Hebrew and knows that, that all these words are just not abstractions. It's just not Hebrew style. It's mm. not Hebrew poetry. And it's also just not good English style in poetry, at least. Mm. Mm. It, and it's to tell of your mighty arm right? It's arm. Mm -hmm. They don't don't call it his might. They call it his arm. (laughs) So the idea of power is an abstraction. Yes. But but the psalmist often embodies things. Yes. And so it it brings that unity of the the lived experience of faith, I think. It's not just cerebral sort of thing. Right. And it's not just a so this overly spiritualized, it's that it, he's a real human being. These are real human beings living real human life. Who's in some kind of social or political conflict yeah. with someone else yeah. who's trying to make his life horrible. He talks about <laughs> his mother's womb. Yes. Yeah. So it's there's this imagery of, of embodied life, of living, living in this existence that God has created. And it's all a part of God's creation. I mean, that's one of the points of the whole Psalms. You know, it's, it's a conversation with God, the creator. You know, who, if there is power in my arm, it's because that's the way God designed my arm. You know? Yeah. And if there's, if, if my arm is used for injustice, it is actually doing something contrary to the way God created and the great creator will one day redress that injustice. Yeah. And so it's on that basis that it's appropriate for the psalmist to ask God to redress these injustices. Mm, exactly. When they see others around them inflicting evil and injustice. One of my irritations with Revised Common Lectionary, but not just the lectionary, but the use of the Psalms in general in the church is we often cut out those more edgier parts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's part of the story. It and that's also part of what it means to pray is to give these, there's at least the beginnings of releasing a claim to vengeance mm-hmm. by asking God to engage in the justice. You know? Well, that that occurs all throughout the Psalms, and and as you know, elsewhere strongly in in the Old Testament uh, literature. But but it's always this conversation between the psalmist and God. Say, look at what's happening. You can't be pleased with what's happening, and I'm certainly not pleased with what's happening. So stir yourself to redress the wrong. Care for those people who are of your own choosing and your own creation. You know, there are times when the psalmist speaks very, very personally. This is what I need. This is what I want. But it seems to me that, that, that always running throughout Scripture is the is almost the psalmist calling himself and God to account for the way in which God created the, the world and the earth. So that this is your creation, and look how it's not living up to what the way you created it to be. So please engage with us. Show your strength, show your might, show your power to redress it, to put it back the way that you created it to be and help me to live in that reality, which is 
I think, corrective to so many ways in which we engage with life right now. Uh, well, not just right now, but in our human experience, you know, huh. it's so easy for us to interpret it through our understanding and our agenda, our desire. Whereas I think the, the psalmist is always saying, here was your desire. Here's your desire for human nature. Here's your desire for the earth you created. And look how it's gone astray. Please stir yourself to put it right, to redress it. Please stir yourself. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you've been, your language in, is shaped by the Psalms because that's a common mm. theme, right? Mm. Rouse yourself. Mm. Like, it's almost like, so I'll get philosophical for a moment. So like you have, you have like a, maybe a kind of early modern occasionalist theism, mm. which is God sort of intervening and breaking the laws of nature mm. that kind of set up this, um, you know, kind of a radical kind of Calvinism where God's just kind of sticking his finger in. And why is God treating miracles as just breaking the laws of nature? You know, which isn't how the ancients described them. The no. ancients always described them as following a higher law that's just unknown to us. But, and then you have like a deism that has God just acting and stepping away. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it, it occurred to me hearing you talk there about creation. It was almost like I, I'm suddenly hearing a theme in this psalm and in all the psalms as kind of a God, don't prove the deists right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, kind of saying, like, like yeah, yeah. there's almost like a, a sort of, Again, this is more philosophical than the psalmist is presenting, but if we were to reflect on it, to mm-hmm. kind of say, sort of almost adopting the deist point of view for a moment mm-hmm. and saying, I guess they're right. If you're not, if you don't do something, if you don't mm-hmm. rouse yourself, right? Yeah, if, yeah. And, and of course, the de- deists can't stand anthropomorphisms like that. No. But of course, the psalms is this highly anthropomorphic sort of picture. And a lot of our translations hide that because they'll, I was just looking at one yesterday. It's a different psalm. I forget. It's in the somewhere in the eighties, where it said, uh, "May my prayer come into your presence, and may you incline your ear to my lament." Mm-hmm. Was the translation I was seeing, and I'm like, "Well, that, that doesn't seem right." And there's ear right there. We're totally fine with ear, <laughs> like presence. I don't think it says presence. I bet that's face, you know. And I mm-hmm. went and checked the Hebrew. It's face, right? Yeah, let my yeah, let my yeah. prayer come before your face. face. Yeah. Which is the image of presence. That's not an incorrect translation. But it's just so funny that we'll swallow whole ear. Mm. We'll talk about God's heart. But the moment we say God's face or God's arm, then we get uncomfortable and we kind of (laughs) put it into an abstraction and then lose the poetry of it. Lose the the visceral embodied character of even the picture of God. Yeah. Who, yeah, is not embodied the way we are and yet in some way is. And Mm. as Christians, we do actually believe in a, in God's choice to become embodied mm. as a human being and that that's not, in fact, alien to mm. who God is. Well, your use of the word face there triggers some thoughts for me because, Please. you know, in the Old Testament, God's face has tremendous significance. Remember, you can't see God's face and live. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you look at the beginning of this, the very first couplet, in you, O Lord, I've taken reverence, never let me be put to shame. Yes. So face is a really important concept in shame-based cultures. Yes. To lose one's face ah. is to lose one's existence, to lose one's place in the community. So the worst thing that can happen in a shame-based culture is to lose face. So it just triggered that thought for me. Here, here's the psalmist saying, don't let me lose my place. Don't let me 
don't let me be subject to the shame that comes from being displaced. But there's wow, another thing that, yeah. you, that you triggered as you were talking about that, and that is uh, – this is not this is not original with me by any stretch. I think probably uh, I probably read it in C.S. Lewis or you know George MacDonald or one of those guys. But that idea that the miracles of God are somehow God breaking the rules, break, breaking the laws of nature. What, what would you think about the idea of saying it is exactly the opposite? That only thing God ever does in a miracle is accelerate the already existing <laughs> rules that He created in nature, and that what actually breaks the rules is the work of the of the evil one, of the enemy. Mm-hmm. It, it's the evil one who actually destroys or breaks the rules that God has created. And God's work is only ever to restore or accelerate the things that God created. So raising Lazarus from the dead, overcoming death, is actually overcoming how the, the evil one destroyed and broke life. God is the author of life. So it's nothing for, I mean, God created in the first place, so to recreate it or to to accelerate it. So the healings, God created the body to be healed, to heal itself. So the healing is just taking out of the way something that impeded the work of God in the life of that person. Yeah, that definitely definitely fits the gospel stories where, especially like Mark, where these are Sometimes translations will say evil spirits or demons, but it's almost always unclean spirits, mm-hmm. which implies kind of uh, from your anthropology days, right? Matter out of place, right? Something's mm-hmm. out of place, yeah. right? That's what unclean means. It's it's a disorder mm-hmm. in the created order. What what is dirt? It's matter in the wrong place, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who said that? Was that Marcia Eliot or mm-hmm. something? But it's this great sort of insight of anthropology is that, mm-hmm. you know, Every culture has different things that are dirt, and it's because it isn't a scientific concept. It's just what yeah. what's out of place, this disorder in the creation. And to see God as not an agent of disorder, but of reordering, which I've heard before, but then you did say accelerating. And that's very helpful because the image of restoration alone won't always do because mm-hmm. God has long God has a long game that's not already in play yeah. in Genesis 1 and 2. You know, yeah. the resurrection thing isn't there yet. The, the new heaven and new earth will eventually right. complete that process. But the psalmist is often restore saying, and come or accelerate. Come and do it now. Yes. Come and do it now. <laughs> and that's what prayer is about. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's participating in God's acceleration of his uh, created ends. So then you stop to think about this is not only, I mean, here, as we've said, it's a very physical existence. You know, we've, we've got the womb, we've got birth, we've got... Old age. You got age. It's a physical so thing. It's yeah. a very embodied existence uh, that is uh, in view here. But then you stop to think if that's what God is doing, and the psalmist is saying, "You've you created me in the first place. You've walked through through the cycle of life with me. You've always been present. You've made it work the way that it was supposed to work. Granted, there have been these ones that have tried to dis- disrupt it, destroy it, defeat, but you have been present." Now, where I find myself going with that often is, where does God want to do that in the rest of my existence? Hmm. So what what is disordered? What has the enemy broken or destroyed that was God's beautiful creation, not just in my embodied existence, but in my social existence, in my community community existence, in my in, in, in you know in my in my existence as a, as one among many whom God has created what what in that sphere has been disordered and broken and destroyed and what's God's purpose to put that right by accelerating amplifying elevating mm. something he already created 
in my existence, not as a solitary, but in community. You know, I'm struck by something I read, which was, uh, um, I don't think it was from Orange Scott, but it was, it was, um, it, it's in a book of history about Orange Scott's life. So, as I know you know, but those who don't know, Orange Scott was one of the founders of the Wesleyan Methodist Connection, which eventually became the Wesleyan Church. So, one of our forebears in the gospel. And there was a really neat progression about that was the summarization of Orange Scott's approach to Christian life in the world. It was that he, these early Wesleyans believed in the, in the, in the concept of a holy heart. And a holy heart gave birth to a holy life. And a holy life gave birth to a redemptive engagement in social life. And social life broadly. I mean, we now talk about structural issues, social structures. They wouldn't have used that language. But they would have been talking about families. They would have been talking about communities. And I love that progression because it doesn't start with a holy life. Hmm. It's, it's, this is not an ethical mandate that we begin with. Because if you do that, you, start, you, you end up in legalism. Right. Does your life line up with some mandate? This tradition we're a part of said you begin with a holy heart, that somehow your heart gets put right. And that issues in a kind of life. And that kind of life enters into the brokenness of the world in a particular way that seeks to accelerate, amplify, elevate the redemptive work of God. I find that so often in the, in the work of the psalmist, in the language of the psalmist. Come and enter into our life's existence and reveal yourself. Reveal what was meant to be true and good and proper here. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. No, it's beautiful. I love it. And I mean, it's, he's constantly going back and forth between his own heart and life and the injustices out in the world. You know, the, the, the psalm, in this very psalm, mm -hmm. you know, God, do not be far from me. My praise is always for you. I mean, these are things that are kind of flowing from the heart while at mm -hmm. the same time saying, hey, these people are stalking and counseling against me. Right. The, the world is, is not right. Make it right. But it's, as you're Hinting at it, it's not just like, a, don't make the world out there right just as a personal favor to me. Mm. Though there can be moments when that's how it feels. <laughs> uh, it's primarily a reorientation of the heart towards God and saying, God, be the God that you have you know, revealed yourself to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to accelerate, uh, amplify, and elevate the things you've already made towards these ends that you have. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that a lot. It's deeply, deeply personal and even individual while at the same time, radically social embodied mm -hmm. public. Like it's not, that's not a, that kind of modern either or would not even register to a text like this, right? To this author, they wouldn't even know what we were saying. So are you, you know, like if you were saying, so is this a prayer about, like your own personal life, or is this a prayer about, you know, mm -hmm. social justice out in the world? They'd be like, huh? You know, they yeah, wouldn't yeah. understand. The question wouldn't even register. No. He just moves back and forth. It's not like there's a half of the Psalms, this half. It's just moving between the public and the private and all these kind of false distinctions that we operate with. Yeah, it's embodied both in the sense of the personal body. It's embodied in the sense of the corporate body. You know, I, this is something that I find really interesting to reflect on in my reading of scripture. The fact that I was born, you know, in a different culture in the Philippines and, and grew up in that culture 
shaped in so many ways by an Asian sort of conception of the world, conception culture. And then, you know, I had the privilege of living and working in many different cultures, Haiti, England, the Midwestern United States, Southern California, which, by the way, might as well be different countries. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so different. And encountering the, the worshiping body of believers in all of those places, what I've come to realize over these years is that this belongs to all mm. different kinds of groups of believers whose conceptions of themselves and of their, their community and of God are shaped so much by that location and time and geography and culture. I think it has made me, I don't know whether I did, cautious, um, respectful in reading scripture, reluctant to jump in too quickly into easy characterizations of what this text means, what this hmm. experience. So the reason I say all that is that this culture he was in exactly wouldn't have had the highly individualistic, mechanistic, technologically oriented way of thinking about the world and about our bodies and about our community that we've inherited in you know Western culture, which is the product of so many you know industrialization, the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. I mean, the philosophical uh, threads of, of Europe and so forth which has shaped so much of the way we just sort of come at this, this scripture. But if you sit with, if you sit with pre-modern cultures and watch them interact with scripture, first of all, it, it reinstates your faith in humanity hmm. and in, in God's ability to enter into and in, in what God has created us to be. I just have found that so fascinating to find, to listen and try to experience with different cultures and different peoples, the way they read and they experience their, their faith. Which, by the way, I brought this along because I wanted, if your readers have or your listeners haven't seen it yet, my daughter Kristen put me onto this. It's the First Nations version yeah. of the New Testament and indigenous translation of the New Testament. Now, for some people, it's it's controversial uh, because what it does is it takes the New Testament and it, it translates the New Testament in the thought forms and idioms of uh, Native Native North Americans. This comes from Canada, actually. That's why it's called First Nations. Okay. Uh, but man, have I loved reading this? It's because it's just it's you encounter again the the genius of Scripture and the power of Scripture through a whole different set of eyes. You think, ah, that's what that's how they think of that text. Yeah. That that has, and it makes you realize that my default readings are just that. They're my default readings. They're, they're not the text. They're readings. They're mine. Um, yeah. And they may have their own validity, but they're also severely limited. Yeah. So if you think about the way the Japanese people, you know, in the 15 and 1600s first began to encounter Scripture. Yeah. In a very hostile environment to Christianity. And how, how they began to infuse the reading of Scripture with their own life experience. We're all human, but oh my goodness, would that have been a, that is such a different way to come at um, the, the experience of encountering God in this world. And I think maybe in some ways closer to the psalmist. Yeah. And we have to kind of unlearn some of the things that shroud our understanding of Scripture, I think. I'm, I don't want to sell a short. I'm not critical of my culture that I've inherited and I'm a part of, uh, you know, in the West. I think it's in many ways a beautiful and wonderful thing. But it does shape the way I read, you know? It's so funny, a psalm like this, because it's so concrete and it's like the concreteness of it makes it both 
more and less accessible. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it makes yeah. it less because it's, it's the concreteness of another time and place, but it also makes it feel very real to me. Like I've got a tongue, I've got lips, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I was, I was in my mother's womb. I'm getting older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm feeling the, the energy, not as intense as it once was. Yeah, I know a, what it's, it's like life. to feel like people are coming after me. Mm-hmm. I get all that. It's a life experience everybody can identify with. And uh, it puts it in a context of relationship with God, that life experience. Yeah, I can't wait till there's a First Nations version of the, the Psalter. Mm-hmm. I hope they go there next. I don't know what they're I planning to do, beautiful. but I think I think it would, it, it would be great. But there are other ways. So there are times when I go back and just uh, read um, in the French Bible. Mm-hmm. Because, as you know, reading in another language, you just notice things. You notice things you, that you didn't see before. So, you know, that we're also doing something here that I think is really a neat thing, and that is, as you well know, there is there is the study of this psalm as a text. So there, it's kind of a technical study, mm-hmm. and and then you can expand that to the Bible. So much of what passes for biblical studies is. This is sort of the dissection of this as a yes. text. And we are indebted to so much of that scholarship. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't speak against it. But what we're actually doing right now is something that's different from that. It's, it's entering into the spirit of the text and saying, okay, what was the life experience of this writer that, they, that he captured in, this, in these lines and these words? And can I identify that with that in any way? Again, it reminds me of a great line from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I think it's in Voyage of the Dawn Treader where uh, Eustace is talking about the sun, and he he's in conversation with the wise old citizen of Narnia. And Eustace says, well, in our world, the sun is a ball of burning gas. <laughs> and the Narnian says, son, even in your world, that's only what the sun is made of. It's not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Even in your world. Uh, yeah. And so sometimes we can get captured to, to talk about what the Bible is made of and forget what it is. That's good. Which is an encounter with the living God. That's good. So as a statement of respect, no insult, you're a, you're an older man than you once were. Yeah. Any uh, looking back on this psalm, entering into the ways that you connect with this author who's looking back on a life. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, they can be about the text. They can just be about anything. Mm. Just what, what wisdom might you have for us and our listeners, their pastors, their lay folk, their curious people who just love to, um, to study the word and live according to the word. What mm. thoughts might you have us have for us as we wrap up today? Well, again, thanks for having me. It's been fun to always fun to talk about scripture, and certainly with you, you're a great conversation partner. A couple of things that, yeah, I'm I'm uh, 66 and a half, soon to be 67, and uh, it does change. You know, life changes as you go through these these stages. One of the things that in this particular stage of my journey that that has really been resonating with me is I've watched a lot of people retire. Over the years, I watched my parents. I've watched, you know, icons of my faith. I've watched people who I worked for. I deeply respect that I've watched them go through this this cycle. And 
Now I'm going through it myself, and I'm thinking, ah, so that's what it was. That's what. They, <laughs> that's why they did. That's why they said the things they did. That's mm. why they did what they did. I'm reminded that there's an illumination of life experience that you you just have by going through it. But here, if there is a regret, here's the thing I've thought: I wish I had attended better. I wish I had listened more. I wish I'd have taken a little bit more seriously what the ones that went before me were were going through and trying to say to me at those moments. I would have, I would have been a better person if I had listened more and listened more carefully, paid more attention. Which, my, isn't that a part of life? We get so preoccupied with ourselves and our life experience, and what a what an important thing I think for God to call us into a posture of listening and watching better. Uh, so that's one of the things I feel like I'm learning right now. But back to the text, back to the psalm, and back to the psalms and the scripture. I remember being just, you know, I sit in my chair in the morning in the presence of the Lord with his words. And the words, I would rather spend my time in the house of the Lord than in any other place. Sometimes just come down on me in a moment of, I guess you'd call it glory, you know? Mm. Uh, and I'm I'm not real old. I mean, I guess you'd say 66 is old, but not real old. Only relatively so. <laughs> not much. But there's a sense in which, having committed myself to live in that presence of God the best I could, faltering though it may have been at times, has proven to be a rich and good life. And if there's anything that gives me courage to face what the next years that God gives me would be with the, the continued diminution of physical vitality, intellectual vitality, and so forth. It's that I will, I will do this journey in the house of the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. And frankly, I, I would not trade that for anything. Hmm. It's, it's the most precious thing we have, I think. One day there, better than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, David, for giving time to the scriptures and to our listeners. Appreciate it a ton. Thanks, as always, to all our listeners for chiming in, getting the word out about the show. We appreciate it so much. Uh, Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without you guys. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. Uh, If you'd like to become Patreon supporters, go to patreon.com slash fresh text. Find some ways you can support the show. And with that said, say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.